Hello, you're tuned into Cancer Answers. Welcome to the final episode of season one. I'm your host, Heather Effett, and today's episode is quite an interesting topic to address because it centers on the role of children in cancer clinical trials. Joining me in the studio to discuss the ethical implications of cancer clinical trials for children is Dr. Stephanie Lim, who is an associate member in the Cancer Biology Program and a core clinical member, translational and clinical research at the University of Hawaii Cancer Center. Let's get right into it. Thank you, Dr. Lim, for joining me today. Can you please elaborate on your research expertise? Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Hatter. Um, so by training, I am a pediatric hematologist oncologist, which means that I focus particularly on children with any type of blood disease and or cancer. Mm -hmm. I spent my residency and fellowship at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and it was there that I really cultivated a passion in a field that's known as immuno-oncology. And mm -hmm. what I mean is that that is a study um, of how the immune system interacts and fights cancer. Right. And so specifically, a type of treatment that I am um, interested in is called chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy, or in short, CAR T-cell therapy. Mm -hmm. Now, this may be kind of like a novel treatment term that nobody has really heard of, but the basic gist of it is that this is a type of treatment that can actually redirect a patient's immune system to fight the specific type of cancer that they have. So it's a really amazing life-saving therapy. Now, here in Hawaii, I think one of my most important initiatives is to bring this CAR-T therapy to our community here, whether it be in the form of a clinical trial or an already FDA-approved product, so that our patients here in Hawaii and also neighboring Pacific Islands can have access to this very novel treatment option without having to travel thousands of miles away from their family and support system. From a translational research perspective, my current goal is to look at whether or not there are differences in the immune landscape between different races and ethnicities. So what this means is that maybe patients of Asian descent versus Native Hawaiians, maybe um, compared to, let's say, Caucasians, maybe their immune landscape and the makeup is very different from one another. Hmm. Um, and so that would change how I think about how effective and how they respond to different types of immune-based therapies. And so I do hope that knowledge gained from all of our research can hopefully one day lead to tailoring of the effective ethnically-based immune therapies inside a, instead of the current what I call one-size-fits-all approach. So using one drug for all patients, no matter what ethnicity they are. Now help the listeners understand what is a clinical trial. I think that's a great question because I think there's actually a lot of um, misinformation about what a clinical trial is. Mm -hmm. The basic goal of a clinical trial is really to advance scientific knowledge in a safe and effective way. Mm -hmm. Now, there are different types of clinical trials out there, right? There are ones that are non-invasive and really requires nothing more um, than the participants to fill out like a short five to ten question, uh, question survey. Mm -hmm. But there are also other clinical trials that involve other types of treatment regimen and may even include new and novel drugs. The goal of a clinical trial, specifically cancer-related clinical trials, is to figure out how is it that we can best treat our patients so that they can have the highest potential um, for cure and then mm -hmm. at least kind of the least amount of side effects. 
Now, clinical trials in children uh, is also another complicated issue. I think mm. in the past, there's usually around a seven-year lag time on average between when an adult approval and a pediatric approval for the same treatment. Mm -hmm. So this means that adult treatments, adult patients have access to effective treatments years before they're made available to children. Mm -hmm. Now, there's many reasons to this. I think number one, it's because children's physiology is very different from mm -hmm. adults. And in fact, different ages can mean that they clearly have a um, differences in the rate of processing drugs. They mm -hmm. can metabolize drugs differently. Patients age, you know, one to three in their body, their basic physiology functions very differently from how a child who is 12 to 15 years of age. Right. Second of all, and perhaps really more importantly and most importantly, is that we as a medical community is just very protective of children. And so we never really want to expose them to a drug that is deemed unsafe or not tolerable. Mm. Got it. Got it. And what particularly sparked your interest in studying children in cancer clinical trials? Well, because I'm a pediatric hematologist and oncologist by training, I think my main mission is really to help our scientific community find the best treatment option available for our patients mm -hmm. so that they can have the highest chance of being cancer free, right? Right. I think in my opinion, the best way we know what treatment regimen works best and is the safest for our children is by participation in a clinical trial. Take the most common childhood cancer, B-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia, for example. Back in the 1960s, the cure rate for children with this type of cancer is probably only around 10 to 15 percent. Mm -hmm. But with decades of collaborative research and clinical trials from hospitals really all around the world, we're now able to cure at least 90 percent of children with B-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which to me is just incredible. Mm -hmm. Now, can you talk, talk more about the participation of children in cancer clinical trials here in the state of Hawaii? Um, why is this involvement important, especially for the state of Hawaii? Yeah, I think mean, here in Hawaii, um, especially at Kapiolani Medical Center, mm -hmm. we're very proud to say that we are actually the only hospital that is able to enroll our patients on the Children's Oncology Group clinical trials. Mm. So the Children's Oncology Group, or in short, the COG, is a National Cancer Institute-supported member group of the National Clinical Trials Network and is the world's largest cooperative children's cancer research entity. Mm -hmm. The COG comprises of actually over 200 leading children's hospitals, universities, cancer centers all across the world, North America, Canada, Australia, Europe, mm -hmm. and in um, New Zealand. Now, because of this, we actually have access to the most novel treatment options that are available to children with different types of cancers. Mm -hmm. Not only does the COG design and conduct hundreds of clinical trials every year, but they actually also perform lab research that will translate into more effective treatments with mm -hmm. reduced side effects. And they also look at causes of childhood cancers with the goal of, of course, hopefully one day preventing cancer to even happen in children in the first place. Mm. And on top of that, our team members, our team of physicians at Kapiolani are actually involved in protocol development for these mm -hmm. clinical trials. And so they're really kept up to date on what the latest results are from these clinical trials so that we can always adjust our treatment plans for our patients based on real-time data. Great, great. That's good to hear. Nationally, there are about 10 times more adult clinical trials available than for children. Can you please explain why that is? 
Uh, that's a great question. Um, I mentioned this briefly, but mm -hmm. you know, as a commu medical community, we are particularly protective of our children, right? right? So we really want them to make sure that the new therapies and treatments that we introduce and give them are safe for them uh, before making them accessible to children. And so because of this, there are more clinical trials available for adults and also the seven-year lag time that I'd mentioned previously mm -hmm. between an adult uh, approval and then a pediatric approval for the same therapy. Mm. Because uh, we are so protective of children, there's actually a few more barriers that may decrease their participation in clinical trials. Mm -hmm. So first, uh, depending on the age of the child, both the participating child and the child's parents actually need to consent to participate in right. the study. Mm. And so a lot of time, parents are really afraid of enrolling their children in clinical trials because of the misconception that they'll expose their child right, or children to dangerous therapies. Mm -hmm. But in fact, in order for any clinical trials to be approved, there needs to be actually a very, very rigorous scientific process that involves years of preclinical and even clinical data before the trial becomes available to children. Mm. And I think the second point is that children, clinical trials for children generally actually don't involve placebos, right? So if there's any evidence at all that a treatment works well in adults, it's, not just, it's just not ethical to expose children to placebo and withhold a treatment that could improve their condition. And can you, like, uh, just sorry yeah. to cut you off, but no. can you, like, explain what is a placebo effect so that our listeners know what that is also? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So a placebo effect really is, like, um, a blank pill. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, in a clinical trial, you can have, for example, arm A, arm B. Let's say arm A is a kind of well-tolerated regimen that we already know of or is a new drug that we want to test out versus arm B is like a blank pill that really is a sugar pill oh, that okay. has completely no effects. But sometimes, you know, depending, I guess, what you're looking for, psychological effects, et cetera, may play a part. And so at the end of the day, we just want to see whether or not there are treatment differences between the two arms. But it's basically a sugar pill. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So anyway, so all of those, you know, are really contributive reasons as to why adult participation in clinical trials are higher than, than children. children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, I also want to talk about the ethical implications mm -hmm. of clinical trials for children specifically, because you say it's like we we have this very we are very protective of our kids. So would it not be considered unethical to include children in clinical trials, especially pertaining to cancer, considering that they have little autonomy over the decisions that they make because oftentimes um, parents are the ones who are making those decisions for their children so um, what is your what is your take on that yeah, yeah another good question you know i i think before a patient turns 18 the ability to consent and participate in a clinical trial really falls upon the mm -hmm. parents right and more often than not you know of course in the perfect world parents really should ideally have their children's best interest at heart so the decision to participate in a trial or not in that sense should fall on the parents but i think one thing i have to make clear is that even though we as physicians believe that participation in a clinical trial is important for the reasons reasons that i mentioned above I think even if the parents chooses not to participate in a clinical trial, mm -hmm. it will by no means at all change how we as a team treat the child, 
And so we will still make sure that our patient gets the best evidence-based treatment regimen so that we can make sure that they have the best chance of cure. So really, I make this very clear to my um, patients and the parents that, you know, I encourage you to participate in the clinical trial. I'll give you all the data as to kind of what this trial is about. I'll give you a background of it. But I'll always, always end with, you know, we're no, not forcing you into this at all, whether or not you choose to do this or not. But in terms of kind of the age ranges being offered clinical trials, you know, I have newborn babies that are diagnosed with cancer. And so, you know, I think those children, of course, also deserve kind of a right um, for the best chance of cure. And so I think offering the availability of clinical trials from really zero to mm-hmm. 18 years of age, and then at 18 years of age, then they can make their own decision is probably, I guess, the best thing right now. And what if a clinical trials fails for some reason? Um, could it affect the physical health of children? Would it have long-term um, any side effects, potential side effects in the long run? Yeah, you know, the one thing about clinical trials being run in the United States is that they are super, super heavily regulated. And so they have frequent real-time analysis Mm -hmm. of the clinical trial data to make sure that the treatment effects is safe. It's like every every week or so, they pull data from all across the world into this one database, um, which is the beauty of technology nowadays. And then we can actually analyze the data in real time. And so because of this, physicians who are taking care of children on clinical trials will get very frequent reports on how the trial is actually going. And so if the trial is not going as planned or for whatever reason, like they're seeing more treatment-related side effects or the treatment that is being tested is not as effective as, let's say, the old treatment, then they'll immediately send out a notice to all participating patients and physicians so that we, as a medical team, can actually alter the treatment regimens to make sure that it's in the best interest of the child and the patient. I gained some very important insights regarding cancer clinical trials for children. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Stephanie Lim. This was a very engaging discussion. Listeners, I end on this note. This was the final episode of season one. Hopefully you guys were able to Um, gain some very important insights into cancer, how it works, what are the treatment options, and what are the implications for cancer in Hawaii and beyond. Um, Thank you for joining me every week and for um, listening to this particular podcast. I really appreciate it. Until we meet next time, but you can always, always stay tuned on our social media pages. Our handle is UH Cancer Center for Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can always visit our website, uhcancercenter.org for more information. Take care, and I will see you next time.